speaking of kids, um, I, we're going we're gonna to play a game this morning that many of you are probably familiar with, either from your childhood or your adulthood. Your adulthood? Yeah. Um, I, I was just playing it actually a couple of weeks ago on the way back from one of our kids' outdoor zone um, adventures with some kids, and, and it's called I Spy. Um, so right now, I, I'd like you to just play a little game of, of I Spy with your neighbor or you know, with yourself. You can play with me. I don't have a partner. Um, I just want you, to, I want you to play I Spy. I want you to spy three things, okay? Now, there are three things that are either in this room and visible right now or three things that you've just observed since you've been in here, okay? So here you go. Spy your three things. Sherry says that we don't have enough fun on Sunday, so I thought throwing a game in <laughs> would be good. Okay, do you have your three things? Okay, let me hear some of the three things. The cross, okay. What else? Guitar, yeah. Candles, okay. Chair, yes. The screens, yes. Your friends from Canada, welcome. Glad you're in the sunlight and sunshine today. Anything else? Mm. Oh, the thermostat. Bingo. Okay. But, but you do bring me to my next point, so thank you for allowing me to plant you in the audience today. Um, because, because round two of our game is actually called Can I Spy? Right, because um, some things are more apparent um, and more visible, and there's other things that are just harder to see, uh, if we can see them at all, but, but they're just as real. So, so in our I Spy game today, you notice that we picked out things that are readily identifiable, as like a cross and a screen and a thermostat. But, but what about other things? Can we see other realities that are in this room today? Can we see worship? Is worship a visible thing? Can you see the mood in the room today? Can you see needs. Are needs visible? As you look around the room today, are needs something that you're seeing? Feelings, fear, hurt, disappointment, joy can make for a, a tougher game of I spy. What about faith? Is faith something that you can point at like this cross or this guitar and say, there it is. I see it. It's faith. Well, today, we're going to take a look at a passage and we're going to look at some things that are not always visible to everyone. You know, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes I'm glad that not everything is visible to everyone all the time. 
that my insecurities are not visible to you at all times, that, that my needs are not always out there for everyone to see. But on the other hand, it would be helpful <laughs> if we could see some of these things a little more readily, a, a little more clearly. And, and today as we look through our passage in the book of Mark, we're going to play a game of I spy with Jesus. We're going to play a game of, of I spy, and, and we're going to see how he sees things. And the hope is that as we see how Jesus sees these things, that maybe they'll become more visible to us, or at least an aspect of them will become more identifiable, more visible, noticeable, perceptible to us as well. So would you pray with me before we uh, open our scripture here this morning? Father, we know that there are realities in our world that are hard for us to perceive, that are hard for us to see. Sometimes even needs in our own hearts that we are not aware of. Lord, we ask that as we open your scripture today that you would open truths to us. That you would show us things that we've missed. We ask it all by your grace. Amen. Well, we're continuing our study in the Gospel of Mark. And up to this point, we're, we're going to be kicking off in chapter 2 this week. And up to this point, Jesus has begun his ministry. And he's been going around, Mark tells us, proclaiming the kingdom of God. And calling people to a response of faith and repentance. He's been doing healings. And he's encountered people that are possessed by demons in places like the synagogue. And he has cast out those demons. And he's healed others. And he's done this so many times. And he asks them not to go and tell everyone. The demons start to speak and say, I know who you are. And he silences them. Up till now, he's been trying to keep a low profile. But the word is getting out. Word is spreading. And where we pick up uh, this morning in Mark chapter 2, verse 1, Jesus has, has tried to slip back into Capernaum, uh, this little village by the Sea of Galilee, and he's tried to slip quietly back into Capernaum and avoid all of the chaos that's been surrounding him. Um, but he will not escape, <laughs> as we will see. Uh, in chapter 2, verse 1 of Mark, it says, And when he returned to Capernaum, After some days, it was reported that he was at home. Uh, Likely, this is the house of uh, Peter and Andrew, although some speculate that Jesus had his own home. Um, But it says that he was at home, and many were gathered there, so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. Uh, Picture this packed house, um, the room is probably smaller than this stage. Um, the, the rooms that they've excavated in the houses in this area, the largest one is 18 feet across um, because that's the tallest timber that they could get to span a roof. And so you have quite a small room. You have people packed at the entrances, packed at the windows. Uh, and Jesus is preaching 
the word to them. I would have loved to have been in that room today. And it says in verse 3 that they came. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. So you picture four friends um, bringing a man who's on a mat of straw. Um, and they're transporting him to this house in Capernaum. We don't know how far they traveled to get him there. We don't know the amount of energy that they expended or how much convincing they had to do to get him to go. We know none of that. The only thing we know is that upon their arrival, they're frustrated. They've gone to all this effort. And, and because of the crowd, they can't even get their friend to Jesus. And so I imagine that they kind of consult with one another and the, and the MacGyver in the group points out that there's a staircase on the side of the house, right? And he convinces them to go up on the roof, to take their friend up on the roof to get to Jesus from above. And so that's exactly uh, what they do. They take him up on the roof and it says that they remove the roof above him. Now, now the roof would have been made of some uh, large pieces of timber spanning it, and in between the timber would have been reeds from the sea laid across, and, and on top of the reeds, mud would have been packed on top. And so these four men are on their hands and knees on the roof, and they begin to dig through the dirt, the clay, through the reeds to get to the room below. And I just... I just have to picture what is going on in the room below as the digging starts above, right? I've been in rooms before where there's something in the roof and it's a little disturbing. Um, often smallish creatures um, in the rooms that I've been in. And, and so you hear, this, you hear this digging going on and then the dirt and the dust and little stones start to fall through it. And I wonder what the response in the room was. I wonder what the response was uh, of the people who are gathered there, of the homeowner, as he's looking and realizing that someone is trashing his roof right now, uh, of the scribes that are gathered there that we know later in the passage are there, uh, people of honor who, who have probably been given a place of honor in the room near Jesus, and, and now they're getting all dirty uh, based on what's going on uh, above their heads, and, and what is their response? Well, we're, we're not told exactly, but we are told how Jesus responds. And so we see Jesus' response in verse 5, uh, and I'd like you to read uh, the first six words of this verse with me. Okay? The first six words. And when Jesus saw their faith. One more time. And when Jesus saw their faith, what did Jesus see? He saw, he saw faith. Jesus looked at, was ha at what was happening. And his response was, there it is. That's it. 
Faith. Faith is what was happening in that house. It wasn't an intrusion to Jesus. It wasn't uh, an interruption. It wasn't an inconvenience. It was faith. That he had been in this room preaching the gospel. And the object lesson of faith had actually come not from those seated in the room or those crowding the doors, but the object lesson was coming in through the roof. Jesus says, for everyone to see, there it is. Faith. We often think of faith as something abstract, invisible, personal, private. This is my faith. But, but Mark, our author today, and, and Jesus, the center of the story, seem to imply that, that faith not only can be, but, but maybe should be something observable to those who are watching. And, and it's, it's faith that elicits a response from Jesus. Jesus looks at the man as they lower him down, probably by the sashes that they have taken off and, and tied on the mat, and they lower him through the roof right in front of Jesus. And he sees faith, and he responds, and he says, Son, Son, your sins are forgiven. I imagine that those words penetrated that man's heart like, like no words that had ever been spoken to him before. Uh, by, by his creator, eye to eye, heart to heart, your sins are forgiven. But this is a paralyzed man on a mat. It's pretty obvious what his need is, right? It's pretty obvious what the people that brought him there brought him for. And yet Jesus seems to see something that no one else in the room sees. The man's real need, his, his deepest need at the core of who he is is not the ability to walk again but to be received to be reconciled Jesus's words could have been son your father is not angry with you but you are his child, my child. Uh, Irenaeus, a famous early church father, believed that the man in this story is, is Adam from the garden and that his paralysis 
is the human condition. Uh, That this man is symbolic of you and me. And that his paralysis is symbolic of your condition and my condition without Christ. Uh, That we are unable, that, that in and of ourselves, we are not capable of meeting and fulfilling our own deepest need which is being reunited in relationship with our Creator. Uh, Max Lucado, who has a way with words in writing about this story and this man and our need for reconciliation, uh, for redemption, says this, if our greatest need had been information God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. But since our greatest need was forgiveness, God sent us a savior. And it's this need, this greatest need that Jesus identifies and speaks to the core of with a word of forgiveness. Well, not everyone in the room appreciated Jesus' response. I did mention that there were some scribes in the house, the experts in the law. And we see in verse 6, their response. It says, now some of the scribes were sitting there. As I mentioned, they'd probably been given a prominent place in the room, uh, not because they arrived first, but because uh, they were given seats of honor by the others who were gathered. And so, uh, in other words, they had made way for the scribes, but not for the paralytic. And it says that they were sitting there questioning in their hearts. Why, why does this man speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, in another game of I Spy, uh, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them. So what they're not willing to bring out in the open, Jesus is, And he says, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? Which which is easier, Jesus asks. Which is easier? Well, on the one hand, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven. Because how would anyone disprove that? How do you you prove that the man's sins either are forgiven or aren't forgiven? 
Right? It's easier to say your sins are forgiven because in a game of I spy, none of us could tell whether it had actually taken place or not. And so Jesus, um, here's the fun fact of the week for you, um, something I learned today. Jesus, or this week, Jesus uses something called argumentum a fortiori. Yes. Argumentum a fortiori. It means an argument, a, a logical argument presented from the strongest a fortiori to prove the weakest, right? So it is easier to say your sins are forgiven than to say rise, take up your mat, and walk. And that's why Jesus says, but that you may know Right. In other words, I'm going to prove the weaker by performing the stronger, the harder, the more difficult, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And we'll get to what happens next in just a minute. But I want to focus on a few of those words that Jesus said. He said, so that you may know. Right? You're, you're, you're doubting in your heart. You're questioning in your heart. You're trying to figure this out. And he says, I want to convince you. I want you to know for certain that I have the authority to forgive sin. And some of us have still not been convinced yet that that is our greatest need. Right? That in our own personal game of I spy, we have not yet come to the conclusion that that's our greatest need. But Jesus wants to convince each one of us, that that indeed is the greatest need, that that is the reason why he came, is so that you would know your need and his ability. And, and then there's some of us that, that think that Jesus could or, or think that he can but we are not personally convinced that he has or that he would. We don't know this authority of Christ the way he would have us know. And so he says to us as well that you may know that I have authority complete and total authority. Is that authority enough even for your sin? Are you convinced that it was enough for you as well? I came across the story of a pardon which seems very fitting considering our current 
political climate and uh, what all the hubbub was during our recent election. And it was the when Gerald Ford pardoned Richard Nixon. I think we have a picture of those gentlemen here. On September 9th, 1974, the AP reported that President Gerald Ford granted Richard M. Nixon a free, full, and absolute pardon for any criminal conduct during his presidency. And Nixon responded with a statement of remorse at, quote, my mistakes over Watergate. Uh, announcing the pardon a surprise appearance before newsmen and photographers, Ford said, I feel that Richard Nixon and his loved ones have suffered enough. And then this is really the key to the quote, a key to what was behind Gerald Ford's thinking. He said, my conscience tells me clearly and certainly that I cannot prolong the bad dreams that continue to reopen a chapter that is closed. My conscience tells me that only I, as president, have the constitutional power to firmly shut and seal this book. And my sense today, as we begin just the second week of our walk into the life of Christ in the book of Mark, as we see the mission of Christ encapsulated in this small passage, that God would want you to know, not just think, but know, that he has the authority to shut and seal a chapter in your life that has been closed and need never be reopened. Well, we see what happens. Probably not surprised by it that, that when the paralytic hears Jesus' command, it says that he rose. A paralyzed man rose and immediately picked up his bed, the one he was carried in on, and he went out before them all. In the view of everyone that was gathered at that house that day, everyone saw it says that they were all amazed. And they glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. Now, it's hard to say what I'm going to say 
next without seeming like I'm overly critical of the crowd that was gathered there. It says they were amazed. Yeah. Good for them. They were amazed. They saw the glory of God on display in front of them. But their only response is to be amazed. Amazed. That's it. They had the prime seat in the house for the glory of God, and all they could do was be amazed. It says they glorified God. But that could have been nothing more than, wow, we've never seen anything like this. Isn't it great? But we get no indication that there was any response of faith in that entire house other than the four men who lowered their friend through the roof. That as you look through the Gospel of Mark, if there's one thing that crowds have in common, it's that they obstruct. That, that they keep Jesus from his mission. That, that they're willing to be close and they're willing to be excited about him. They're willing to be amazed by him. But they are not willing to come to him. They are not willing to trust him. They stay in the crowd where it's safe to stand and watch. But Jesus did not say, stand and watch because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He said, repent and believe in the gospel. Standing and watching does not a disciple make. Does not a follower of Jesus make. Being amazed and cheering him on is not the same as faith. It's not the same as putting your trust in what he has done for you. Well, this morning we wanted to create an atmosphere of response for you, an opportunity for you to respond to the Word of God, to the Spirit of God, to the work that Christ has done on your behalf. And so we have saved our first Sunday of the month communion observance for the end of the service today. And we want to give you an opportunity uh, to sit or to stand, uh, to worship or to pray, uh, to sit or to kneel, whatever the Lord leads you to. But I'd like you to consider a few things as you do that. Maybe you find yourself in the story as, as a member of the crowd. 
that, that you've been standing safely on the sidelines watching and observing and, and maybe even coming to church on a regular basis. But, but you're liking the safety of some distance. And, and maybe our story this morning is stirring in you a decision that it's ready, that it's time. Uh, that you're ready, it's time to step forward. Maybe you've never been baptized. Maybe you've never stood and said, I have decided. Maybe that's the step of faith for you. Maybe you've never been convinced that your deepest need, the one that you've avoided playing I spy with and, and stuffing down, is really that you've been pushing God away when what you really need is to receive his full and unconditional love today. And if that's you, we'll have opportunities for that as well. Uh, I'll be over here on the side. We'll have people at the tables that are um, ready and willing to speak with you, to pray with you, uh, whatever your need is. And then finally, maybe your story isn't that you need to receive Christ's forgiveness today. Now, it could be that you need to know it, that, that as an act of faith that you need to stand up out of your chair and it's an act of faith like digging through the roof when you walk up to the communion table and you are proclaiming that I receive and I know that that chapter is shut and that God has closed it forever. But, but maybe there's something else. Maybe there's a deep burden, an unmet need in you somewhere that today is your day to exercise faith by telling God that you trust Him. That you trust Him to meet the need that you have that may be unseen to the rest of us. But it is a burden that you carry. Well, at this time, I'd like to invite Aaron and the team back up on stage. We're going to have uh, two songs this morning. Um, I hate to put any time limit on your <laughs> expression, um, but do want you to know um, that we'll have two songs. You're welcome to stay after uh, if you like. But again, uh, the communion tables are open for all who have uh, taken a step of faith and received Christ. Or maybe that is your step of faith today. Maybe it's to come for the first time uh, and be prayed with. Uh, to be walked over to the communion table and receive the body and the blood of Christ uh, for the first time. It would be our privilege to do that with you this morning. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for ways you see the unseen the invisible, the hidden that you want to bring to light. Father, we simply ask that your spirit would move this morning. And may our spirits be moved in worship with you. In Christ's name.